Matthew chapter 16. I guess some pretty familiar scripture, some we are all familiar with. Um, Maybe we'll start reading in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that's a lot of reading, I realize that. But notice now, notice how this starts in verse 21. You'll find this account in here in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke as well. And it's, although some details are there, some details are missing, depending on which writer you're looking at, it all follows this same order. So Jesus had just asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And men had a, a wide and varying opinion of who Jesus was. A good man, a prophet, Jeremiah, Elijah. But whom say ye that I am? You know, bringing it down to the individual. And Simon, Peter here, he's, he's going to make what, what's called the great confession. Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Peter knew who this man was. And Jesus said, blessed. Now that word blessed right there, it means supremely blessed, fortunate, or well off. So how well off and how supremely blessed and fortunate that Peter was. Now, uh, who, who do men say that he is? Well, a wide varying opinion. Well, how does... How does Peter know who Jesus is? You know, it's, it's easy to look on a world, a world that to God's truth is filled with the devil, the majority of which have had no raising whatsoever in the gospel and in the truth, the majority of which have been taught nothing of the truth of the Bible. They've heard some fables and some wives' tales and some opinions but to know what the Bible says, they've never heard it in their life. It's easy to look at a crowd like that and say, well, it's a shame that they don't know who Jesus is. But, you know, really we ought to be looking the other way at that, at what a wonder it is that we know who He is. That's, that's what Jesus says to Peter. Peter, you're, you've been blessed 
Now, who's done the blessing? Well, we know just by Melchizedek and Abraham, the less is always blessed of the better. So it's got to be somebody bigger and better than Peter that's blessed him with this knowledge of who Jesus is. Peter knows who he is. Now, how did he get to that place? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to Peter. But Jesus says, My Father, which is in heaven. God had opened Peter's eyes and let him see who the Son of God is. And Jesus himself says that Peter is blessed. And so he says, I'm going to build my church on faith just like this. You know, that's, is this not what the church is built on? Faith and knowledge in who Jesus Christ, not on Peter, but the church is built on the, the same faith revealed from heaven that Peter had. And Peter himself says to them that have obtained like precious faith. You've got the same thing that I've got, is what Peter said. And so he's built his church on this, this revelation from heaven, this salvation from God, and there the church is established. And you know, even the the gates of hell can't prevail against what the Lord has constructed. And so immediately after this confession, and again, if you look in Mark or in Luke, it's the same order of events. Peter makes this confession of who the Lord Jesus is, and from that time forth, Jesus began to shew unto His disciples. What's He showing to them? His sufferings that's to come. So it looks like now, by the way that's worded, the way it's worded in the other Gospels, Jesus hadn't revealed to these men the entire plan of God for Him as of yet. Jesus has been with them. He's taught them the Word of God. He's revealed to them prophets. He's imparted to them wisdom. He's done many mighty works and signs and miracles and healings proving who that He is, but He's not yet revealed to them what He's going to endure. And so as they are here, now it's easy. Before we go any farther, it's easy to look at Peter and say, boy, if Peter was a, he was a real knucklehead. It's easy to do that. But, you know, if you look in, in all of the Gospels and in Acts, everywhere there's a list of these apostles, Peter's name is first. And if you see a group of them break away at the start of the 17th chapter, Jesus is going to take Peter, James, and John. It's never James, John, and Peter. Peter's name's always first. So, you know, in, in the same way that we get this confession wrong, looking down at other folks, we get this look at Peter wrong too. If, if the first of the disciples can make an error this great, would we not be prone to make the same error if we're thinking and reasoning of our own self? I mean, this is Peter. This ain't the, the weak, this ain't doubting Thomas. This isn't Bartholomew that you never hear anything about. This is Simon Peter. This is the man that's going to be at center stage, not of his own doing, but of the Spirit of God at the day of Pentecost. And here he is. Now Jesus begins to show. Now here's what's hard to swallow. Here's the man that they, they believe to be the Son of the living God. 
But you know, they, they had his work in their mind. They had it jumbled up. The, the rest of the world did as well. The Jews expected for there to come a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. But you know, in, in their mind and in their heart, they didn't need deliverance from sin because we've got the temple and we've got the law, and we're doing all these works, and we're paying these tithes, and you know we don't, we don't worship idols, and we don't eat these unclean things. We've got sin under control. What our real problem is, we've got this Roman government and Caesar that's lording over us, and they're taxing us to death, and they're running us into the ground. We need a Messiah to deliver us from that and let Israel be first in the world. Let Israel have the preeminence. And that's what the Jews were looking for. If you remember even in Luke, as they were approaching Jerusalem, some of them in the crowd there said, they said, is, is the kingdom of heaven going to appear? Is it about to fall down out of heaven and, and God's going to raise Israel out of the dust and make it a great nation once again? They were looking for a king like David. But again, man's got it all wrong. But you know, that, that's the way it is today. Man, man needs Jesus. We, we need His help to make it through our troubles. We need His help to help us to, to make more money and to live a good life. And we need His blessings and His favor and in our marriage. And when trouble comes up, we, we need Jesus. But to really need a Savior from our sin, why, we're not sinners like, we're not sinners like the world is. We're not like that publican and we're not like them wicked people and I really don't need my sins to be forgiven. That's the way man thinks. But boy, this this is what Jesus came for. He didn't come now, and don't take this wrong, but He didn't come to ensure that I would have a good marriage and good money and a good job and live an easy life and have every blessing that I could imagine. He did not come that I could do that. Peter says here, now Jesus begins to say, now look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm not going to the throne. And I'm not going to be elevated to the king. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. Well, boy, that don't sound right. You can't suffer. And he's going to suffer it, not of the publicans or of the harlots or of the drunkards or of the dope addicts, but of the chief priests. And the scribes, these leaders of Jerusalem, these men that by the entire crowd now, think about this, by the entire nation, these men were looked up to as the smartest, the most godly, the most righteous, the most God-fearing men in the nation. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at their hands and not just suffer, not just get whipped, but I'm going to be killed. He's going to the cross to be killed, but now there's glory after and raised again the third day. So Jesus is telling His disciples, this is what I've come for. I've not come to, as the carnal mind thinks, I've not come to do what you think. But I've come by the plan of God that my life would be given just like your Passover lamb that you give that you could escape the judgment and wrath of God down in Egypt. 
I'm going to be the Passover lamb for every individual soul. And my blood is going to be shed so that your blood is spared. My blood's going to be shed that the wrath and judgment of God would pass over you. Now it's easy for us to see and know what Jesus is saying. Peter's never heard that in his life. We've heard that all of our life. We know what he's talking about when he begins to say, I have began to teach and to tell his disciples what he's going to do. We know what all that's about. Peter's got no idea what he's talking about. He's never heard this teaching before. He's blind to it. That's the truth. He's blind to this. And so he takes Jesus aside. He took Him. That means he's, he's going to take Him by the arm and say, you need to come over here and talk to me for a minute. We, we need to talk this over because that's not going to happen to you. You're, you're not going to do this. Now you put yourself in Peter's shoes. They have forsaken everything to follow this man. They've forsaken their boats, their families, their jobs, their money, their houses, and their land, and they're following this man. They've seen the power and the miracles that he's got. They've got faith in him that he's the Son of God. And now he's going to die. Where's that going to leave me? What are we going to do? You know, we, we see Pentecost. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. We see the whole story. Peter don't know anything about Pentecost here. And he's saying, look, if you're taken from us, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to make it? How are we going to endure if you're taken from out of our presence? Now the Lord just told him that the church will be established on this and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the Lord's saying, I'm going, I'm going to die and be raised again and I'm going to ascend back to heaven and I'm going to be separated from you. Peter says, we ain't going to make it without you. And so this is what the Lord said. But he turned. So that means to twist. So the Lord turns and looks directly at Peter, remembering what Peter just said, and that Jesus Himself said, you are supremely blessed. You are fortunate. And you are well off. Well, now Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, was, was Peter... Satan? He, he wasn't Satan. Eve wasn't Satan either. But she was used of him. And if we're not very careful, we can be used of him too. We can spread a lie. We can tell a falsehood. Jesus said, Thou art an offense to me. You're a, a trap stick or a snare to me. What you're saying, Peter is in direct opposition to the plan and will of God for me. Peter, if you get what you want, then you see God's will is going to be chucked to the side. And God's plan of redemption is going to be done away with. If I don't do this, there can be no salvation. But Peter's not thinking straight. You see that? And so when, when we're not thinking straight, can the devil not get something out of us that can be a snare and a trap stick to somebody else? You better believe that he can. Where is Peter's focus at? Thou savorest not the things that be of God, 
but the things that be of men. Peter, your attention is right here and right now in the present and you've got no view of the things that's in the future. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I believe, the last verse, we look at the things that are temporary. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Peter, you're looking at the present things. These things are temporary. What you need to have your eyes on is are the things that be of God. You know, as we look on the big picture, we can see the foolishness of this from Peter here. But boy, when, when we're put in this place, I wonder how often our view is on what's right in front of us and not on the big picture of the whole thing. Because now if, if our mind and our attention is on the here and now, then we're being led of the carnal mind. The carnal mind is enmity with God, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So that phrase, it is not possible that the carnal mind be subject or subordinate to the law or to the will or to the commandments of God Almighty. The carnal mind is continually and always opposed to and in rebellion against the law of God Almighty. But you know, the devil's there working and he's working to get my sight on the right here in front of me. I thought of this as I drove from work today. When you're on the interstate and you're driving through there, you're running 65 miles an hour, is your eyes right there at the hood of your car, right in front of you? Is that where you're looking? You know where I found myself looking? I was way out there ahead of me. And I was looking for deer. I was looking to see if I saw brake lights, looking to see if there was an accident, watching for something in the road. Our eyes are always up there in the distance. Because if, if our attention's right here, we're going to get killed. Something's going to come up and take our life. Well, here, Peter's attention is on the things that be of this life. And because his attention is there, he's missing the big picture of the will of God. And Satan has clouded his mind and now Satan is using him to be in opposition to the work that Christ has come to do. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in church people giving advice to even young men and young women. And you know where their eyesight's at? Son, you've got to work. You better provide for that family. And the view is right here and right now. And, and I'm not against that. I work. And I believe you ought to. And if not, you're an infidel. I believe that. But I tell you this, we're going to have to look at that with a bigger picture as well. Is there not something more important and more weighty than the temporary and the here and now? You better believe it, there is. The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. But you see, if all we're looking at is the natural side, we're missing the work that God would like to accomplish in our lives. Thou savorest not... So to, to interest oneself in, 
Peter's interest was in the here and now and in the natural life. All Peter could see was his natural life and what what am I going to do without Jesus? No no vision as to the plan of God. I'll tell you what Peter's going to do without Jesus. He's going to deny Him while he's living. Jesus is going to give his life and resurrect and he's going to come back and speak to Peter and say, listen Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. And Peter after 10 days is going to be filled with the Spirit of God and preach the gospel in the face of all opposition and see 5,000, see 3,000 people to be saved. They're going to carry him down to the temple. They're going to carry him before the court and they're going to beat him and they're going to bring the blood out of his back and they're going to say, don't you dare speak of this name anymore. And they're going to leave and rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. His, his vision's changed from right here, wouldn't you say? Well, if our focus and our attention is here, we're going to be an offense and a trap stick and a, a, an occasion to stumble to somebody. May God help us to have our eyesight out yonder. And then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. So, if you're going to come after, if you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, what is required for a man or for a woman to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, nowadays, talk's cheap nowadays, but that's what everything's been reduced to. Just say a few words and say the right things and why I can be a follower. All you got to do is profess it. Name it and claim it is all a man's got to do today and you can be called a follower of Jesus. But Jesus says, if any man will come after me, He's going to have to deny himself. Now, if I'm going to really follow Jesus, then the outward man must be denied. I cannot follow Jesus and the outward man be pleased every time. I cannot follow Jesus and do as the flesh and the carnal mind would lead me. You know what the carnal mind and the flesh is going to lead me to? Right now. It's going to lead me to pleasure. It's going to lead me to do the things that brings me more of the world. Whether it's money, reputation, pleasure and fun. It's going to bring me to the place that that's what I want. That that's what I seek after. And that that's what gets the priority in my life. Now, if I'm going to follow Jesus, that man is going to have to be denied. He cannot get what he wants and me be a real follower of Jesus. It can't happen. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. It's like a hydraulic cylinder. You push in on one side, the other side's got to go up. But if this side doesn't go down, the other side does not go up. So if if this man's getting what he wants, the Lord's not being lifted up. His name's not being exalted. And I'm not, I truly, 
I'm not following the Lord Jesus. Let a man deny himself, take up his cross, and so Luke says, take up his cross daily. Not every now and then, not when it seems fit, but those that are followers of Jesus, they take up their cross daily. You know, I, I believe it's like Simon the Cyrene, who they got and compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. If you read that in Luke, it says he bare the cross after Jesus. So it sounds like that Jesus has got the, the heavy part and Simon's got the back of it so that it don't drag. Jesus, He always carries the heavy part. He's bore the part that we couldn't bear. He's done the work that we couldn't do. And now through Him, by the Spirit, we are enabled to do what we couldn't do before. Peter couldn't, Peter couldn't bring himself to confess Jesus when the pressure was on, could he? When, they, when they're there beating him and mocking him and he's seeing all this go on and that, that little girl says, wait a minute, you were one of his followers. Peter did not have the courage to say, yeah, I'm his follower. Peter, he couldn't do it. I, you let pressure get on us and of ourselves, we won't do it either. But the grace of God now, after He received the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, He endured some suffering. And He was not ashamed. And they got Him and they threw Him in prison after they beheaded James. They intended on killing Him. The angel came and miraculously delivered Him out of the midst of the prison. And you know where He went? He ran away and hid. No, you know where they found Him? That man that you had in prison... He's down at the temple and he's preaching the name of Jesus down there. I tell you, he was bold in the Holy Spirit of God. He had been enabled. And so it's by that grace that we're enabled to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow after Jesus. So anybody then in this day, if you were seen carrying a cross, you were going to die. You know what the church is? The church is alive spiritually but the outward man perishes. Paul says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Crucify the flesh. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know what all these pictures are of? It's me denying myself. My affections, my desires, my lusts have been nailed to the cross that I might live according to what God has placed in my heart. Denying myself taking up the cross and following Him. So here's the church. Outwardly, we're to be perishing. Paul says to the Colossians, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Where's our love and our affection? And the God's truth, the first of our desire, where is that to be? As the people of God, it's to be on the things that be of God. First and foremost, above family, above money, above wealth, above goods, God desires to be first and foremost above all things. Well, I, I don't know about first above everything. I know that's, that's what people that are caught up in the right now say. But Jesus says the Lord knows 
you have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added unto you. I believe God is going to get David the king's body. He's been laying in the grave for 3,000 years. I believe God's going to resurrect him from the grave, and he's going to live again at the end of the world. But I don't think God can provide for me if I put his house and his service first. You just can't do it in today's world. I'm, you, you hear all of these things, people that are hung up right now in the here and now. I tell you what we can be. If we're going to get caught up in the here and now, we're going to be an offense and a trap stick to those that would be following Jesus. Jesus is going to the cross to accomplish the work of God. And He says, Peter, what you're saying is an offense to me to prevent me from doing and performing the work of God. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Well, we've heard this. We've heard this all our life. You know this Scripture. Whosoever will lose, save his life will lose it. If I'm going to keep this life and what time I have for myself, then at the end of this life, I'm going to lose what little bit that I've got. But if I lose my life for His sake... Now, He's not talking about me burning myself in the parking lot. You know what that is? That's a dead sacrifice. You know what the lamb and the oxen and the goats were? They were a dead sacrifice. They were blood poured out and burned on an altar and dead. He's not telling me to go and sacrifice myself naturally, but it's the spiritual life that he's looking for, that my life would be denied, my wants would be denied, my desires for the things of this world would be denied, that the work of God could be accomplished in me. But if I'm going to keep this life for myself, and I'm going to use it to please myself, and I'm going to forsake the kingdom of God, then know this, I'm just like the prodigal son. I've got a bank account that's not growing. It's getting less and less and less. Is that not true? Naturally speaking, every second that the clock ticks, our time, our strength, our ability to enjoy and the opportunity to enjoy this life is decreasing with every second that the clock ticks away. The devil says, well, you've got, a, you've got a lot of pleasure left. You've got a lot of time and opportunity left. You'd better spend that on yourself and on the here and now. You'd better focus on retirement. You'd better focus on the bank account. You'd better focus on having fun. I tell you, the Lord Jesus says, you'd better deny yourself or you're going to lose even what you've got. The prodigal son, he started out with a fortune, I would imagine. He's got his inheritance and he's going to a far country and I tell you, daddy ain't going to say nothing and brother's not going to say nothing. I'm going to spend this how I want it. And you know what he did? He lost everything that he had down there. And he came back with nothing. Ah, man, spending. He's spending himself. And his bank account may grow, but boy, the opportunity grows less and less every day. 
we're going to lose if, if we believe the Bible. If we believe what the Word of God says. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then I, if you don't believe that, then you're believing the devil. And get behind me, Satan. That's what the Lord said. And so, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Not might, not maybe, but shall. There's no question. If this life is going to be the focus, if the gain, and you know how the devil works. The devil wants you to look at them next to you. They want you to look at the family down the road or the boy up the road or the, the, the girl at work or the girl at school and they'd like for us to fall into a place of envy over what they've got and the pleasure that they've got. I'd like to have what they've got. I'd like to have one of them. I'd like to live like they live. And there goes our focus and there goes our effort. And there goes our time. And there's our desire. And you know what happens when our focus goes there? God goes to the back. If it sacrifices the house of God, so be it. If it sacrifices my prayer time, so be it. If I don't grow a lick in the Word of God, then so be it. I've got to have what everybody else has got. Well, you want to know the truth? The Broadway, it's full of people. There's a lot of people going there at, but every one of those people are going to lose their life at the end of the way. Whosoever shall say, uh, lose his life for my sake shall find it. Those that would be willing to surrender and yield up their life, not as that dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice as one that's not had its throat cut and bleeding out at the altar down at the temple, but one that's alive and walking day by day and the grace of God has transformed that life and they're living not for their self, but for the glory of God. They've sacrificed their time. They've sacrificed their strength. They've sacrificed their mind that they might serve God in this life. Now, those are the ones that have, that have given their lives unto the Lord and those that lose their life for my sake shall find it. When are they going to find it? Well, they'll find it. They'll find it over yonder in glory one day. I, I intend to find it. But you know something else I've found too? I've found that as I lose myself, and as, I'm, as I deny myself, and as I would yield myself and apply myself, as I would take my mind off of the here and now and begin to look at the things that be of God and ponder on the truths of God as I would put my focus and my effort there. You know, the Lord blesses me in this life. I don't know how many times I've said, it's a shame that people go through this life and don't know what it is to really be happy in the heart. A joy now, not, not just happy, but a joy that can't be robbed. You know, this life, uh, this life can be on top of the mountain today and at the very bottom of the ocean tomorrow. 
this life can be so great at this moment. And in, in five seconds, this life can fall into the Grand Canyon and be nothing. But I tell you what God gives. He's given a joy that this life and the things of this world and the very gates of hell cannot prevail against that. That that word hell there, it's the grave that he's talking about. You know how sure the church is? I tell you, right down to death. Right down to the grave. Going to swallow them up. They've got a joy that's steadfast and sure in the work of Christ. And when they leave this life, they're going to find their eternal life in a new home and in a new body with the Lord forevermore. And so he says, for what is a man profited? That's a good word. Benefited. But if you've ever, if you've ever worked at a business, profit's an important thing. You can make money, but if you don't make profit, you're sunk. Right? If, if I'm going to build you a house, and I say I can build that for $100,000, and you cut me a check for hundred grand, and I've got that money in my pocket, and it feels good. But if it costs me $130,000, boy, at the end, I've lost. Right? You've got to subtract the loss and the, the costs in order to see what a man's profited. What's going to be left after you subtract what's costing you? And so you think about that as it applies to this life. Yeah, we can, we can gain and we can have pleasure. I mean, Moses, you, you talk about far out examples. As far out as you can go, Moses was in the, the king's court as the son of Pharaoh's daughter not to some little country that you've never heard of, but to the supreme power of the world in that day. You remember what Joseph did for Egypt? All of the nations round about, they, they sold their cattle, and they sold their property, and they sold their houses, and they even sold themselves to be under the authority of Pharaoh. Egypt took over. They were the supreme authority. And there's Moses, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If not to be a king, he's certainly a prince of the mightiest nation on earth. And he left there and went out in the desert and followed a herd of sheep around. Boy, that was a demotion. You know what the world says? You're a fool. You're a fool for not taking that. You're a fool for not taking that money. You're a fool for giving up that opportunity. Moses, you're a fool for leaving Pharaoh's house. But you know what Moses was seeing? He wasn't seeing the here and now. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He was looking down to the end of the way. If I stay here at Pharaoh's house, it's going to cost me everything I've got in this life and then I'm going to lose my soul at the end of the way. So when you count the profit for Moses, he lost a little to start with. There was an initial investment. It cost him the princehood of Egypt, and it cost him his money and his prestige. 
But what did he profit from that? Do you think Moses profited from what he gave up in Egypt? I believe he did. Jesus is going to give himself on the cross. He's, he's going to give it all, really. To the suffering, to the shame, to the, to the spitting and the abuse, and to the naked death of the cross. He's going to give Himself. He's going to give every ounce of strength, every drop of blood, every breath that He's got. He's going to give it every bit right there on the cross. Is He going to be benefited by what He gives? He's going to be raised in victory. God's going to set Him at His own right hand. He's going to elevate His name above His own. He's going to set Him above all principalities and powers. And He's going to say that at the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee's going to bow to Him. Right. And so the devil says, well, it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. And you're a fool to follow the Lord. Well, the Lord says... What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So if we're going to weigh it up now, and we're going to gain everything the world's got to offer, I mean everything, everything, and yet we lose our soul. That rich man, we've got a parable of that. That rich man that, that was already rich and already had much and his fields brought forth plentifully and he didn't have room to bestow it and he said, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear these barns down. I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to live the rest of my days in ease. I'm going to party and I'm going to retire and I'm going to enjoy what I've got left. And the Lord said, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall thy riches be? Who are they going to go to then? What profit did he have from all that he gained? Or what shall a man give in exchange? <clears throat> so an equivalent or a ransom. When it comes down to this time, what time are we talking about? The Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then shall He reward every man according to His works. When this day comes, this day's come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this day is coming? You know what Paul says is certain evidence that this day of judgment is coming. Let's, let's just read it in Acts chapter number 17. I believe, I believe we're all sure that He rose from the dead because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection, according to the Word of God, is assurance to me that He's coming back to judge the whole world. So if I believe He rose from the dead, then I'd better believe He's coming back to bring judgment. It's sure, it's certain, and it's steadfast. So when this day comes then, when this day of judgment and reckoning before God, what would be the equivalent that a man would give in exchange for his soul? 
Would a, would a man, I mean, you, you come down to the day of judgment standing before God and not a, not a week in hell, not a month in hell, but an entire eternity in hell standing before Him, the wrath and anger of God and the lake of fire made for the devil and his angels and that's going to be my home. Do you reckon a man would give up his money to escape that? Do you reckon a man would give up his house to escape that? Would a man give up half of his life to escape that? Would a man give up his wife? You better believe it. You better believe it. What would you exchange? I tell you what your soul's worth. It's worth more than the whole world. Is that not true? It's worth more than the world and everything that's contained in it. And when this day comes, man will be willing to exchange it all that he might have his soul. But you know what? There's, there's not an exchange here. There's one exchange. And it's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can come after Him today and I can deny myself today. I can take up a cross today and be a follower of the Lord Jesus or I can keep my life, live it as I please, and I'm going to lose it all. Well, what I'm going to do, just a, a stupid example. You want to buy my van. I say, all right, I'll sell it to you. It's worth $12,000. You give me the money, but I'm going to run it till it won't run no more, and then I'll let you have it. That's what man wants to do with God, ain't it? We want to run the wheels off of it. And when we're laying in the bed at the end, we want to say, God save me and I'll give you what i got left. i got five minutes left. I've spent every minute that I've got alive serving myself and it, it tied up in this world. Now I want to trade the last five minutes that I've got for eternity in heaven. Boy, that's, that's a foolish and a fearful thought. You may get a man to tell your family that that worked for you, but I'll, I'll never believe it. I won't. If I'm crying out because I'm dying, I'm not crying out because I'm guilty of sin. Job said, by the multitude of oppressions they cry. They're crying out because of this shape that they're in not because of their sinful condition. This day's coming and He's going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and then shall reward. There's going to be a reward? It's, it's payment of wages is what it's going to be. And so the Lord says, I'm going to pay every man what they're owed. So what, what are we going to be owed? We, we can look in Revelation and you've got a crowd that's taken part in the first resurrection. A crowd that's living. They've been resurrected and the second death hath no power over them. Then you've got another crowd that's not had the first resurrection and they're dead. They're dead. All of them are dead. And who's going to stand before God and be judged out of the books. 
not the living, is it? You go read it. It's not the living that's standing before God and the great white throne being judged out of the books, but it's the dead, small and great. And they're there standing before God and they're being judged out of the books. And what's the end of every single one of them? Did one of them escape the lake of fire? Did one of them pass and earn their way into heaven? No, I tell you, every single one of them that were judged out of the books were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You're going to go by your works. You're going to die by your works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This ain't something way down the road. Well, when, when the millennial kingdom comes, then we're going to get right and then we'll be able to reign with Him. Well, if we're waiting on a kingdom, then we ought to be able to find some 2,060... 2,070-year-old men that's still alive. That are lied here. There be some standing here that shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When did that happen? Now, all of them standing there didn't see it. Judas didn't see it, did he? He's going to hang himself before the Lord ever resurrects. He's not going to see the Lord come in His kingdom. But I tell you, at the day of Pentecost, the kingdom of God came down to man. The tabernacle of God came down unto man. And there, God's kingdom, not a kingdom on a throne, not a kingdom in Jerusalem, and not a kingdom in Washington, D.C., but a kingdom in the hearts and in the minds and the lives of them that have been born again. There, God is ruling in His kingdom by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not something I'm waiting for. I'm in His kingdom today and He's ruling over me or I'm going to be run over at the end and He's going to rule over me. He gave out pounds in the book of Luke and some of them throwed them down and said, I'm not going to let this man rule over me. But when He came back, he came back as the king. And he said, those mine enemies, those that throwed the money down and said, I'm not going to serve him. I'm not giving him my time. He said, bring them before me and kill them. Is, is God like that? You know, in Jesus, we come to the, the God of grace and of love and of mercy. But outside of Jesus, it's the God of Mount Sinai that Moses himself said he vehemently feared and shook at the presence of God. The trumpet and the earthquake and the thundering and the lightning and a fearful and vengeance God and a God that said, if anybody touches this mountain, you thrust them through the heart with a dart. If anybody comes near to me, Moses, you destroy them. And if they sin, you stone them. God is merciful, loving, gracious, long-suffering, but He's a consuming fire 
as well. And judgment. The Son of Man is coming. He's coming again. That's all that's on our heart.